for those of you who don't know, I mentioned before, my name is Candace, and this is my husband, Matt. I was thinking this morning, I'm going to be really cheesy for a second. Pastor Mary says Pastor Mike is her favorite preacher, but you're my favorite preacher. And my she children, has to say that. you can gag, it's totally okay. <laughs> they love when I get mushy with their dad. Um, I don't have to say that, I get to say that. We are the executive pastors here, and we get the opportunity to work very, very closely with our staff, and we have the best staff. We have the best team of people that we get the opportunity to work with. They're amazing. They love Jesus so well, and it truly is an honor to work alongside them and get to do what we do and um, work together and minister together and all kinds of fun things. When we started in ministry, um, Pastor Judy will remember this, but we shared a very tiny like eight by 10 office. So if anybody needs marriage counseling, that's the way to do it. Share a very small eight by 10 office that let, breaks you in real fast. We have since graduated to our own offices. So our marriage is probably much healthier due to that. But we have four children. We have a 17 year old, 15 year old, 13 year old, and Should five year old. Should we embarrass them or no? You go for it. No, okay. No, are they shaking their head no? Um, we had kids very young, and they are the greatest joy of our life, and so we're very glad you girls decided to sit so close so we can see your beautiful faces this morning. And we're going to share today together something that we do often in SOM and in staff, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a great day. You want to pray? Yes. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for your word that is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. We pray right now, God, your word would change us, would transform us, God. Renew our minds. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now in this moment that you would speak to us, God, that you would encourage your people. And we pray, Lord, the enemy would be thrown down to the ground today and that your people would rise up in victory. In Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you believe you're on the verge of some kind of breakthrough in your life. Yeah, something, spiritual, financial, relational, some kind of breakthrough. How many of you feel like, man, I am pushing for breakthrough. I am trying to get breakthrough relationally. I'm trying to get breakthrough spiritually. I'm trying to get breakthrough financially, and it just hasn't happened yet. It's okay to raise your hand, because I would venture to say at least half of us are there. We believe the church is on the verge of breakthrough. We believe the church is on the verge of revival. We believe that the greatest move of God that the world has ever seen is about to implode into the earth. Pastor Mike tells us all the time that we're on the verge of revival. Revival is breakthrough. Those things are, they mean the same thing in the word. And so we believe that you're on the verge of breakthrough. And we know that for the church, for the body of believers to move into what God has called them to do, to move into this season of breakthrough and revival in your life, we have to know how to stand our ground. We have to know how to stand up. We have to know how to fight. We have to know how to use the authority that God has given us. We have to know how to activate the keys of the kingdom that he has given us and to stop letting the enemy stop your breakthrough. Amen? There's a story in Judges where Gideon is working with the Israelites and they keep having, they keep planting and they keep sowing for their harvest. And every time they're about to have their harvest, their enemy, the Midianites, comes and they steal it right from under them, right every single time before there's a harvest. 
they come and they swipe up their crops. And it happens repeatedly, and Gideon is working with the Lord and, and trying to help the Israelites understand how to move into their authority and activate their authority so that they can stop this thief, this thief from stealing their breakthrough. So we're going to talk today about the unity of the church and the unity of believers and how we stand our ground, how we stop the enemy from wreaking havoc in your life, and how to use the authority of the keys of the kingdom that God has already given you. Amen? It's going to be a good morning. So King David, to kind of lead up to our message here, King David is just days away from breakthrough. He doesn't realize it yet, but he's been waiting for years and years. He has King Saul, this crazy, tormented king who's chasing him around through the hills and valleys. He's trying to assassinate, trying to kill him. David is so close to taking the throne but doesn't realize it. And what happens to David right before he ascends to the throne? He has the greatest attack that he's ever experienced. The greatest personal, financial, every part of his life affected at Ziglag. It said that his, his family was taken from him. His house, the houses were burned and all their possessions were stolen. How many could say that's a bad day? Literally every part of his life touched in one day. He doesn't realize it, but he's so close to breakthrough. And what does David do? David could have just said, well, it, you know, maybe it wasn't God's will that I become king. But it said David encouraged himself in the Lord. You know, the enemy can sense when you're in a season of breakthrough. And there will be resistance. But you have to decide what you're going to do in those times. Some of you are pushing on the door of breakthrough for your family. You're pushing on the door of breakthrough for your business, for your health, the areas you've been fighting. And you're, you're finding resistance. What do we do in those moments? King David, it says, encouraged himself in the Lord. We have to fight. We have to stand. My first point is this. The kingdom of God never moves backwards. The kingdom we are a part of only moves in one direction. This kingdom that we are citizens of today is moving forward. You and I are called to move forward. We should not be where we were a year ago. We should not be where we were a week ago because we are a part of a kingdom that only knows how to press forward. Jesus said this when he was giving his first kind of description of the kingdom to his disciples because they had no idea what was happening. Their minds are getting blown by the miracles, by being around Jesus. So he gives them a description. This is what the kingdom's like. In Matthew eleven twelve, he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Another version says it suffers violence. The Hebrew word for that same um, phrase is peretz, which means to explode dynamite or to break out. So Jesus comes on the scene, and it's remarkable to me, this is the way he describes the kingdom. Because isn't the kingdom full of love? He could have said, this is a kingdom of love, or this is a kingdom of joy, and all those things would have been true, or this is a kingdom of peace. All those things would have been true, but he says, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. It is trying to break out in the earth. It is trying to explode in the earth. So kingdom-minded people like us should be breaking out. We should be advancing. We should be moving forward. I want the devil to be nervous when I get out of bed. 
Come on. The devil, when your alarm clock goes off, the devil should be so nervous because everywhere you go, you are a part of a kingdom that is moving. Jesus, it says, Jesus was so offensive. I mean, offensive, not offensive. Well, he was both. He didn't play defense. Jesus never sat around or moved backwards or was scared of the enemy. Everywhere he went, it says in, let me find this scripture. 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. The church has to stop playing defense. The church has to stop saying, well, you know, Jesus is going to come back and we're just going to wait here and kind of protect what we have and it'll be fine because when he takes us, everything will be good. What would Jesus do if he was in our midst? He would look at our city and he would say, let's go. He would look at our families and he would say, the kingdom's here. He would advance. He would move forward. Paul said in, in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize high calling of, of God in Christ Jesus. An example of this is if I brought you in my truck and I had taken all the gears out of my truck. So picture this. You get in my vehicle. There's no park. There's no neutral. There's no reverse. And I leave one gear the drive gear. That would be odd, right? This is the kingdom. You're in this vehicle that does not know how to move backwards. And not only that, you're in this vehicle of the kingdom that actually doesn't even know how to stand still. It is so aggressive. It's so powerful what we're a part of. What was Jesus doing when he said, this is the kingdom, it's forcefully advancing? What was Jesus really doing when he was trying to describe to his disciples, this is the kingdom of God. What he was really doing was saying, God hasn't changed his mind from the original plan. What was the original plan in Genesis 1:28? It said, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and every living thing that moves upon the earth. You know what Jesus was doing? He wasn't recreating an idea when he came to the, to the disciples. He was saying, I'm just going back to what the Father created in the garden. What did the Father create? When he created Adam and Eve, he said, here are the keys. He says, here are the keys to the garden. Here's the keys to the earth. I'm giving you authority. Now, I want you to not just stay in the garden, the garden representing the kingdom. I don't want you just to sit in the garden and protect it. I want you to take what, what I've given you in this kingdom, and I want you to go to the whole earth and spread my kingdom. But you have to do it, Adam and Eve. You have to do it. Here are the keys. Jesus was saying what was lost because of sin. When they sinned, they literally handed the keys to the devil. We no longer had authority to advance a kingdom. We had no authority in the earth. So Jesus was saying, I'm giving you back the original design. Think about what we have in our hands. We've been given back the keys. What are we going to do with those keys? There's a verse in um, Revelations. I love this verse, 1-6. It says, and he has, he has made us kings and priests unto God, his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I love this picture because I think it's a picture of the garden. He's made us kings and priests, kings and priests. What does a priest do? A priest comes into God's presence and ministers and worships like we did this morning. We put on our priest robe this morning. 
And we said, Lord, we're going to worship you. We're going to praise you. We're going to give you glory. This morning, we were priests unto God. So Adam and Eve would walk with God, it says, in the cool of the day. They had this amazing relationship. He would fellowship with them. He would speak to them. They, were, they had their priest robe on in the garden, worshiping God, seeing who he was like we did this morning. Another glimpse of who God was. But then when they left the garden, they didn't leave as priests. They put on a crown. When you leave this place, this, this is the church. We come together. We worship him as priests. We give him glory. We see who he is. We're amazed at him. But when we walk out of this building, God says, here's the keys. You're putting a crown on, and now I want you to walk in authority. Amen? So when Jesus came back, he stripped the authority we had relinquished to the devil, took it back, and what did he do with it? He gave it to us. If you don't know your authority, if you don't know your authority as a believer, you're always just going to be surviving. You're just going to survive. And that's not what we were called to do, right? We were called to thrive. The word tells us that we're supposed to go from glory to glory, not survival to glory. We're supposed to have glory and thriving here in the earth and then move on to a greater glory. So it's time to get our power back and operate in it. I was thinking of this example earlier this week. I want to read this verse in Luke 10. It says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I said this in first service. I have some questions for the Lord when we get to heaven about scorpions. Like, I feel like there's purpose for, like, everything in the earth, but I just am, I don't know if it's a knowledge thing. I'm just unaware of, like, why do we have them? Why do we need them? Is there, per is there a purpose? Like, I feel like we could have done without the scorpion thing. And when we were early married, if there was a scorpion, I would do, we've been very fortunate, we haven't had that many, but I would do whatever I could do in my power to avoid killing the scorpion. So I, if he was not home, I would find a way I built contraptions. I would find a way to, like, cover the scorpion, put a bowl over the scorpion, like, any way to contain it so it was there, but so I could wait for him to come kill it because I just do not like them at all. I'm not the only one who's done this, so y'all are sitting real quiet, but I know I'm not the only one. So a few months ago, we had a scorpion in the kitchen, and I called him. It was early in the morning. I texted him early in the morning, and I'm like, there's a scorpion in the kitchen. And he responds, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> He's like, you kill it, you know? And I'm like, can you come home? Like, there, I don't want to kill it. His, his response now would actually probably be to go get Roman, but... He was like, babe, I'm not going to be home until like 6.30. So you either need to find a way to cover the scorpion and live with it in the house until 6.30 or you need to kill it. I'm really proud to say that I killed the scorpion on my own. <laughs> Thank you. But when I killed that scorpion, I needed to ensure that the scorpion was dead. Not just dead, but like no life left, like squished, guts out, like in pieces, right? Because there's no way I'm going to go pick up the scorpion with a tissue and carry it over to the trash and risk 
that it could still be alive. So I'm like stomping the scorpion, like driving my foot in, you know, like making sure it's good and dead. But isn't that the exact picture of what the Lord is wanting us to do when we activate our authority and we take power over the devil, right? We have authority over every darkness in our world. Every single thing that comes against you, he has already given you the keys to. It's up to you to learn to activate that authority and to get your power back. In Colossians 2, in the Passion Translation, it describes what God did for us like this, and I love it. It says, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. So as I began to understand this, concept of authority in my life, I needed something that I felt like I could hold on to, some kind of practical way that I could activate my authority, some form of application. And so for me, that became communion. Because communion, God's instruction on communion to us was literally given to us as a tool to activate our authority. That's what it was for. So I needed a way to in the literal sense, pull heaven into earth. So when we would go through things, we, I started this several years ago, when we would go through things with our family or with Matt's business, if he was struggling or if we were financially struggling or looking for direction, whatever it was, health, anything, in our life, I began to take communion all the time to activate that authority in that moment. And you know, sometimes it's a big thing in my prayer time. Sometimes it's literally in the morning, like as I'm doing something, I'm like tossing it back. Lord Jesus, I trust that your blood has covered this. I've, I know that your body was broken for this. Like we're taking authority over it right now. So we have literally a bag of communion cups <laughs> in our house. We just do. And it's a joke because our little five-year-old is really obsessed with communion. And when we take communion, she takes it like six times. And she's really holy in that moment. There's like communion cups all over the front row. But she's understanding like mom and dad do this when we're activating authority over our life. Why? Because we have to remind ourselves sometimes that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. To advance, you have to use your authority. He made this so clear. He said, I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, you will be, loose, will be loosed in heaven. What do these keys of the kingdom represent? What do they represent? Authority. Who has the keys to your house? Uh, hopefully you're not giving keys out to your house, right? Who has the keys, the keys to your house? You do. Maybe some family members. Who has the keys to the church? Just staff. And why? Because it represents their authority here. They have access. They know to use their key to gain access. So what do they get to control? They get to control what comes in, and they get to control what goes out. So you have keys in your life 
They're just yours. And it's up to you who you give authority to to use those keys and what you're going to do with it. What are you letting in your life and what are you telling it's time to get out of your life? That's part of operating in the authority of Jesus. And once you have the realization of what those keys are, it is game over for the enemy. So how do you do this? How do you activate this? Some of you need to get mad. Some of you need to get angry. Because the devil has been messing with your family for too long. He's been messing with your finances. He's been messing with your marriage. He's been messing with your health. He's been messing with your mind. He's been walking around wreaking havoc. And instead of being angry, you have accepted, and I don't mean this in a, in a hard way. I think it's an understanding that we have to have as believers. We've accepted a spirit of complacency, a spirit of apathy, like this is just what it is now. My marriage just stinks. We don't get along. It's bad. My son is never going to be a believer. I'm never going to get healed. We've accepted and allowed the enemy to push and prod and poke at us for so long that it's become easier to sit in a state of apathy than it is to stand up and say, enough is enough. I am done. I am ready to fight. I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to use my keys, and I'm going to tell the devil to literally get the hell out of my life. Right? Pastor Mike said it last week, so that's my permission. It's true. Some of you need to get mad. You need a little fire in your belly. You need something that's stirred up inside of you that is saying, I am not going to sit here anymore. I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to use what I know the, the devil has taken from me, and I'm going to use my authority, and I'm going to speak life into whatever situation that it is. It's already been given to you. It's just time for you to use it. We walked through seasons with our children, and, you know, we, we have teenagers now, and it's different. It's a different parenting game. And toddlers are great, little kids are great, it's physically exhausting. But teenagers, I love you girls, you're angels. Teenagers, they just, the emotions, it's like a lot, right? But let me tell you something. The devil, he plays a supernatural war game with our kids. And the minute that they're old enough, he wages all-out war on their minds. So when we began to have teenagers, our kids transitioning into their teenage years, it opened up a whole new world of parenting for us. And we had to change tactics. So it was no longer just about, like, here's your structure, do this, don't do that, right? Like, they've got freedom of choice. They're exposed to all kinds of things. So we're dealing with stuff with our kids, and it's like, how do, what do we do? Like, how do we fight this? What do, how do we teach? Like, what do, how, do we, how do we expose them to this and show them how to do it? So I despise running. It's like the worst form of exercise. Bless you, all you runners. I do not like it. But... There was a time period when it was the only thing I could do. It was the only time I could really get out of the house, um, just the season that we were in, where I could get some alone time to pray. 
So I would put my AirPods in and I, he knew I was desperate because I was literally asking to go for a run. And he was like, she must be desperate. <laughs> she must be desperate if she's asking to run. But I would go out with my AirPods in and my music just blaring, worshiping down my street, just claiming victory over my kid's life because I was mad. And let me tell you something, righteous anger is not sinful. So when you can learn to harness your anger and understand where to direct it at the enemy, that's not a sin, that's fight. So I was mad and I'm like, nope, we're not gonna do this. You're not gonna have my kids. You're not gonna have my family. You're not gonna have their mind. You're not gonna let it affect our marriage. Like we're gonna fight. We're gonna stand up and fight. And it was, for us, it was important, but it was also a model to our children of when things happen, when assault comes at you, you gotta get up. I'm not saying you can't hurt. I'm not saying you can't feel pain, but I'm saying don't stay there. Stand up and get angry. Get a little fire in your belly and get ready to fight back because you're the lion and he's the sheep. And the only time he wins is when he gets you to confuse the two. You're the lion and he's the sheep. So you've got to put on your identity. You've got to use your keys and you've got to be on the offensive. Amen? Amen. You just want to keep preaching? Nope. It's all, all right. yours. I love it. I want to talk about our new nature for a minute. Because once you understand your new nature in Christ, you start walking in authority. You will never have peace when something's ruling over you that you were created to rule over. That's right. Romans 6.14 says, Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. I love, I love this idea because our new nature is so much more powerful than we realize. I lived in a season where I ran from the Lord and was what you would call a backslider. And you know why backsliders can never find peace? You know why someone running, living in sin that's a believer can never find peace? Because this new nature that's within us is now more powerful than sin. Yeah. It's stronger than anything the devil has. So when we're living in sin, willingly running from the Lord, it's like putting a lion on the ground. If you were, if you were on a safari and you're driving your truck through a safari and you see a lion laying on the ground and there's a big old warthog sitting on it, you'd be like, that doesn't look right. And then you see another lion, you keep going, and there's like an antelope standing on it. And the lion's just like this. This is what it looks like when we're living under our potential, our new nature. This new nature, this, it says we're new creation in Christ Jesus. This new nature in us only knows how to rule. We're not going to actually find peace until we're ruling over sin, until we're ruling over fear. And we're ruling over these things that the enemy brings against us. It's in you now. It's a part of you. It's, it's, it's not something you have to recreate. It is who you are in Christ Jesus. Our enemy has been defeated. I love the verse that my wife shared. I'm going to read it in a different version, Colossians 2.15. It says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I love this idea of a public spectacle. 
what Jesus did. In the Roman Empire, when they had conquered another kingdom, they'd go out, they would conquer a kingdom. They would bring the conquered kings back to Rome. And what they would do is they would have a parade, a victory parade. They would strip them. They would humiliate these kings. They would sometimes put a hook through their nose. And what they would do is they would drag them around the city so everybody in Rome knew that was a defeated foe of Rome. Jesus, it says, at the cross, disarmed Satan and made a spectacle of him. He literally took Satan as a public spectacle, dragged him through and said, look at what I've done. Look at the defeated foe. So all of heaven saw it. All of hell saw it. Every demon saw it. Oh, Satan's been defeated. He's been disarmed. And he, he, he humiliated him through the streets. This is our enemy. Sometimes we give way too much credit to the enemy. He is a defeated foe. Amen. You don't have to, you don't have to defeat Satan. He's defeated. You, we don't have to. Jesus is not going to come back and defeat him again. He took all authority from him. But now Christ is waiting for the church. He's waiting for the church to realize the authority they have. He's not going to come do it again. He said, I already did it. And then I gave you the keys. And now I'm waiting for you to walk in it. What does it look like for the church and the people of God to walk in authority? There's this verse. It's an amazing picture, I think, of, of what, what it means to walk and enforce authority. In Joshua 10, 24, it says, When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, Come here and put your feet on the neck of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. What a picture of grace. So Joshua had defeated the kings already. He'd already defeated them. They're laying on the ground, defeated. And he brought his leaders, and he said, come with me. I got to teach you something. So he brought his leaders to these kings, these great foes that were laying on the ground. And he said, now I need each one of you to do something. Come over to these kings. They're already defeated, but I need you to learn your authority. So he said, put your, lift up your foot and put it on their neck. So every leader would come. And these kings that they used to think were so great now lay on the ground defeated. He said, come on, just put your foot there. What is Jesus doing to the church? He's pulling us over to the enemy and saying, come on, lift up your foot. That spirit of fear is already conquered. Put your foot on its neck. That oppression, that depression, whatever it is, the sick, whatever it is we're dealing with, he's not going to put his foot on it. He already did. What does the Bible say? Soon, God's going to crush Satan, but how is he going to crush him? Come on, this is the Bible test. Under whose feet? Under your feet. He's not going to re-crush Satan. He already crushed them. He's waiting for his church to lift up their foot and say, oh, this, I actually can put my foot on, I can tread on the enemy. Oh, if we only knew the authority we had in this new nature in Christ Jesus. It's so powerful. I'm going to close with this. I was thinking about, as a parent, you know, we have four amazing kids. And in our lives, if God does great things through us, 
That's like half the equation. If we find our destiny and purpose, which I believe we are, it's amazing. But that's like half of the puzzle. If our kids never find their purpose, if we become giant slayers but our kids don't, our joy will never be complete. I know my parents seeing us walk in our authority, learning to walk in our destiny, our purpose, I know that it brings a joy. It completes the joy inside of them. Jesus already conquered the enemy. The Father's saying, my joy is going to be complete when my kids rise up into their purpose. Our joy will be complete when we watch our kids slaying giants. We know we can slay a giant. I want them to know they can slay a giant too. God is telling the church in this season, there's so much authority that you have. There's so much potential we have. I don't even know how I'm gonna close this, so let's stand up, or we're just gonna keep preaching. We could go really long. Let's stand to our feet, and worship team, you guys can come out. I want us to get a little visual today. We're gonna have to move our feet around a little bit today, all right? I want you to think about Let's close our eyes for a moment in prayer. Let's just think about those things that maybe have been in our lives, like my wife was saying, that we need, to, we need to get angry about. Those things that have been hurting us, attacking us, the trespassing of the devil in our lives. And I want you to, I want you to picture yourself right now. If you need to lift your feet up, I want you to picture yourself putting your foot on that thing today. Come on, and you just start praying. You just start saying, no more, no more. We thank you, God, for the authority you've given us in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for a spirit of breakthrough today. We thank you, God, that the enemy has been defeated and disarmed. And we have victory in you. We are moving forward in you, Jesus. We thank you that we are moving forward in our lives, that our families are gonna have breakthrough. Come on, prophesy it over your children, that our children are going to be on fire for Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesying for God. We thank you that our finances are going to have breakthrough, God, that our ministry, our business, every part of our lives, God, we thank you for the victory that you've given us, Jesus. Help us to know who we are in you. Help the authority and the fight of God to come inside of us today, Lord. Come on, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to have the prayer team go ahead and join us down front. And if you need prayer today, we want to stand with you. We want to encourage you, love on you, be with you, fight with you. So prayer team, go ahead and join me. And Worship Nation is going to lead us for a few minutes. But if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do not miss this opportunity today. It's the greatest thing you will ever do. It's the best decision you will ever make. You will never regret it because he's faithful, he's good, he's your provider, he's your healer, he's everything you will ever need. So if you want to accept Jesus today, we would love to pray with you and rejoice with you and talk with you, so please do that. And prayer team is down front as long as we need them. Worship Nation, if you don't mind leading us for a minute, we appreciate it. We love you, family. Thank you for being with us today. Jesus, come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. We bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles.
is a house of miracles.